Well, every person needs pastors in their lives. I used to say every person needs a pastor, but that started kind of communicating this idea that we have this one magical person that is all things to us. And as I reflected on my life and my life currently, I have several pastors uh, that I'm under their authority. And here at this church, we have several pastors. I have a unique role as the lead pastor, and I speak most of the time and, and lead lots of different groups we have. But we have a team of elders or pastors um, who serve you. And I want you to consider today their value in your life, or if you're visiting from another church, the value of the elders in the church that you're part of currently. So the title of this message is kind of a standalone message that I just felt like I needed to give today is a question really, spiritual authority or spiritual abuse? The term spiritual abuse is a contemporized term. It's not in the Bible, but it's an effective one because it communicates what can happen in a church structure when those in authority over us actually abuse us. And there's some really tragic cases of this that are in the national news over the last, that have been exposed over the last seven or eight years. But I'm not necessarily thinking of those really deviant, big, illegal things that happen. As much as I am, the subtle, internal, kind of emotional abuse that we experience, and sometimes we don't even realize it, and then there's a great cost to it. And the cost is this, is that uh, we fall out of love with the church. And this morning, one of the reasons our nation is in moral decline, and one of the reasons that we are in a huge um, problem with morality in our nation, I believe, is that some really good, saved Christian people are sitting at home this morning uh, because they're not in church. I want to tell you, this is not a good thing. It's not good for them who are sitting at home, and it's not good for us. We need America to go back to church again because Jesus is moving through his church. And unfortunately, under the reality that the reality can turn into an excuse of spiritual abuse, many people are checking out of church. And I want this to be a preventative for you. And for some of you today, today's teaching is going to be a healing because God wants to heal you of a spiritual abuse that you've been under. We live in an era, and we've lived in this era for quite some time, when people move from church to church for cultural and stylistic reasons. And while an occasional change is good and beneficial, and no doubt we've benefited from that, you know, we've had people from other churches start going to church here, and it's made us stronger and better, and so at times that type of change is really good. I know that this morning we have people from other churches checking out our church. And we have people who I think go to this church who are checking out other churches in the city. That's what happens in January. And so I welcome all of you. And in and, and all seriousness, if you are visiting, I do want you to consider our church. I really do. But though we benefit from that from time to time, and though it is appropriate to change churches occasionally, one of the reasons people are moving from church to church for stylistic and cultural reasons is, I believe, is they don't understand the role of pastors and elders 
in their life and the value of those pastors. A few years ago, I went to Turkey with a group of pastors, a group of Christians, and we toured the seven churches of Revelation uh, that if you read Revelation last month, a lot of you did in your Bible reading plans. Uh, there are seven specific cities, specific churches that existed in the first century that don't exist anymore. We went to those seven different cities in what is now modern day Turkey. And it was not a real dangerous trip. A lot of Turkey uh, is, uh, Turkey really is similar in a lot of areas to, to Nashville or Memphis or Dallas. But whenever you're in a different context, there, there were some points where you felt uneasy. I mean, I did not understand the language there. And there's 90 million people in Turkey and less than 2,000 evangelical Christians. So there's not Christians there. We don't know their language. We don't know their customs. Uh, so even though we felt relatively safe, there, there were some things to be aware of. And there were certainly some, um, we, were, we were aware of some cultural challenges. We had a guide who led us on that trip that was there. We met him in Turkey. He was Turkish. He called himself Victor. No doubt that was not his real name. I'm sure it was some name I could never pronounce. But uh, Victor uh, was good at what he did. I mean, he, he understood um, that, that language because that's where he was from. He understood the city. He understood American tourists, what they needed. And in addition to his skill, I think that Victor, um, he, he grew to have an affinity for our group. We, we had this type of sarcastic humor that he understood that, the banter went back and forth throughout the week. And at the end of the week, um, it, was, it was more than just a business transaction. You could tell that his heart was really connected with us. And I would, you know, I'm not really good with direction. So I would sometimes be off either by myself or with uh, another friend away from Victor, away from the guide. And there was a little bit of uneasiness then because you're just wondering, am I at the right place? Um, am I where I'm supposed to be? When we were at the Grand Bazaar and you're dealing with currency you're not familiar with, you're wondering, am I getting ripped off by the, as I'm trying to buy this trinket or T-shirt for my kids? And, and there was this sense of kind of just this uneasiness that we all would have in an unfamiliar place. And then Victor would come around. And he would come around and you kind of just breathe a little easier. You felt a little safer. Not, not that we were immune from anything bad happening, but the fact that someone who knew the language, understood the tour, had that skill, and then he had a heart for us, just made everything feel better and safer. Thinking of him today, it made me think of two skills that are two characteristics of a good spiritual leader. And that would be a heart for the people and skill. Heart and skill together. If you have a skillful leader, but he doesn't or she doesn't have the right heart, then manipulation occurs. If you have a leader who has great heart, but just doesn't have skill, then a lot of mistakes happen. And that's what happens to young leaders. So thanks for being gracious with me these last eight years as I'm a, I consider myself a young leader still. And so that's part of what we do as a church. The church helps raise up young leaders by helping them get the experience they need. But when you have those together, skill and heart, there's great leadership and there's great safety. I want to give you today three 
contrast between being under spiritual authority and being in a spiritually abusive situation. And here's my first contrast, it's this. Spiritual abuse endangers, but spiritual authority protects. When you're under good spiritual leaders, you just feel a little safer. You breathe a little easier. You feel like, man, I am being taken care of. It doesn't promise that you're ever immune from any attack or any difficulty, but you have some, a group of people, a group of leaders who care for you and they're skilled to lead and everything just feels better in your life because you're at a safe place. Acts chapter 20, now that we're in scripture, we, Paul is giving instructions to the Ephesian pastors, Ephesian elders, those words are inter, uh, you know, interconnected or interchangeable. And he gives some really great instruction. Acts chapter 20, starting with verse 28, as he's leaving the church of Ephesus, that if you've read the book of Ephesians, you know he really cared for that church. He said this, be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock that the Holy Spirit has appointed you to as overseers. Another interchangeable word. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And men will rise up from your own number with deviant doctrines to lure the disciples into following them. This was a danger in the first century, and it's a danger today, that even among those who claim the name of Jesus, there are wolves among us in the modern day church who want to deceive us. And we as, as people, we're very much drawn to the new, the trendy, the curious. We're very much drawn to this idea that for centuries we've not seen this particular perspective or not seen this particular line of teaching or not been around this particular experience. And we're drawn to these type of new things. And, and we, we get bored with the gospel and it puts us in a very vulnerable position. And that's why we all need elders. We all need pastors in our lives because pastors help protect us. They protect us through sound teaching they protect us through a relational life. And that's something that I want us to hear today, that the kingdom of God is about relationships. It's about knowing one another. We, we, we must resist um, the, the false modern version of Christianity that thinks that just accumulating knowledge, like listening to a sermon, is, is uh, a discipleship. That's just accumulating knowledge. Um, we must know those who teach us the word. At the very least, know someone who knows someone who's teaching us the word. So when you're under mature spiritual leadership, everything just feels safer in your life. Your marriage is safer. And I want to warn you, if you're ever part of a system or a group of leaders or a particular uh, leader that wants to divide you and your spouse, that should be a huge warning sign even under the manipulation of scripture and under spiritual language, if you're under a system where they're trying to uh, vilify your spouse and turn you against your spouse, that's a spiritual abusive situation. When you're under mature spiritual leaders, your kids are safe. 
They're in a position to grow. They're in a position to be discipled. They're being taken care of. You know they can be, you can trust the church with your kids. Your money is safe. You're not going to be manipulated by some kind of spiritual Ponzi scheme, some type of, of fundraising technique that makes you uh, feel dirty when you leave church. You know that your money is being taken as worship to the Lord and being used in a responsible way. When you're under spiritually safe and spiritually mature leadership, your secrets are safe. Your past discretions are safe. Uh, they're, they're thrown into the sea of forgetfulness. That's where Jesus put them. And you never have to be scared that your spiritual leaders are someday going to throw back in your face uh, something you did in the past or try to use it against you or try to use it to manipulate your behavior today. You will not be exploited. When you're under mature spiritual leaders, your dreams are safe. Your dreams will not be used to just build up the structure or build up the organization and you don't matter. It's both. These are things, these are things that characterize healthy shepherding and healthy leadership. And too many of us have been the victim of spiritual abuse and instead of, instead of feeling God, uh, feeling safe, our life has actually diminished. We've actually been spiritually exposed and we are, are less connected to God because of the atmosphere that we've been in. I, I figured out pretty early in my pastorate, or being a pastor, is that as much as I try, people are really not gonna do what I want them to do. That's part of being a pastor. And, and you know what? In some ways, maybe they shouldn't. And here's the reason why. As Protestants, and as people who believe the Bible, we believe in the priesthood of the believer. So there's no go-between between you and God. There's no go-between between you and Jesus. There's no mediator. Jesus is the mediator. So you have access to the throne of God. You have access to the forgiveness of God. You have access to the presence of God. You don't have to go through a confessional booth. Thank God that I don't have to listen to a confessional booth. You know, listen, and, and now I have to, that joke, I have to be corrective here. Uh, spiritual confession is good. So there is a role for that. So I have to give that disclaimer. But meaning this, you're not required to go through a confessional booth. You're given the opportunity to confess your sins to a brother, a sister in Christ, an appropriate person, but you're not required to. So I realized pretty quick that I can't make people do what I want them to do. And I've just decided not to be one of those pastors who meddles in everyone's business. Because I can't keep up with all of you anyway. So that's made it very difficult because, now, if you're doing something that's outside of the Bible, I will confront you in that. That's what God's called me to do. So if it's something clearly unscriptural, yes, I will hopefully confront you if you're doing something that violates God's word. But these kind of subjective life choices and I see all the time, I see people making choices and I'm like, man, I, I wish they would have, I wish they would have ran that by me or I wish I would have had a voice in their life. I'm, I'm watching train wrecks happen all the time. Um, and I've started to realize that that's part of being a spiritual father. That's what that is. My friend, Dan Scott, who's pastor of Christ Church in Brentwood, he's becoming a pastor to me because he's having a great influence on my life. He helped me understand this concept. And you think about this, those of you who have been parents before. If you're a father or a mother, 
You're there for your kids to advise them. But they don't always take our advice, do they? You're there for them if they need you. But sometimes you just let them make their own choices. Sometimes, as a parent, they come to you and they ask you for advice. You give them advice and they don't even take it. But here's the deal. You love them the same anyway. Isn't that a powerful picture of being a spiritual father, a spiritual mother? You're, you're there to serve. You're there to serve and you're there to advise. And even sometimes you want to advise. You want to kind of get involved in the situation, even if you're not invited. And so you wish you could get involved, but you're there if you're needed. And no matter what that person does, you're going to love them anyway because you're a, you're a spiritual father. You're a spiritual mother. It's a great word picture. Leads me to my next point. Spiritual abuse manipulates, but spiritual authority guides. Wow, this is a fine line here. This is such an important point. Spiritual abuse manipulates, spiritual authority guides. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 5. This is instructions to elders, and it'll it'll for those of us who are elders and pastors here, this will be helpful. For those of you who are sitting under elders and pastors, this is helpful. So it's going to be helpful to us all. First Peter chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of the Messiah and also a participant in the glory about to be revealed, I exhort the elders, the pastors among you, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but freely, according to God's will, not for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. That's where we get the word guiding. A shepherd, an elder, a pastor is gonna guide you. Guide you by example, guide you by nudge, guide you by kind of leading you along. But he or she won't manipulate you. And I... I I sent this sermon to a couple, a couple of my pastors because anytime you're going to preach on spiritual authority, it feels kind of scary. You're like, uh-oh. So I thought, well, let me apply this to my life. So I sent it to two of my pastors, two of the overseers here at this church. One of them, some of you know this guy, um, John McKenzie. I sent it to him, and he read it over my sermon, and he wrote back. And if you know him, you know he's a man of brevity. He said, sounds good, buddy, dash John. So that's all I got from him. So I'm glad he read it, and I'm glad he approved it. Ronnie Meek, who is a pastor in Smyrna, he, he gave me a pretty detailed response. And he gave me, a, uh, he gave me a defini his definition of manipulation, which is really, really good, but I'm still chewing over it a little bit. All right, so I'm going to give it to you. And, 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 you know, it's like a definition is, it's not the Bible here, so it's not God's word, so it has flaws, but it's pretty good. And here, here it is. You might want to write this down. Ronnie Meek says this. Manipulation is the process of eliminating options so that people are forced into a particular choice. I'm gonna say that again, because that is really good. Manipulation is the process of eliminating options so that people are forced into a particular choice. He goes on and says, there can be a fine line at times between manipulation and guidance, and it's one people often find hard to distinguish, which is true. And that's why I struggle with it. Because I know as a leader, there's been times when we've all, we've all not been able to come with agreement on stuff. And I've had to, and you've had to, if you've been a leader, said, hey, 
this is what we're gonna do. We're the, you know, I've been called to lead this group. We can't come to consensus. This is the decision. That's not taking away options. But, and this definition is, is interesting, isn't it? The idea here that I think as God's people, we need to realize who the one really is leading us. It's the word of God. It's the spirit of God breathing on the word of God. We're led by the word. We're led by the spirit. And this idea that if we are under manipulation where there's not this idea that we're all within the different roles God assigned us trying to find what God is trying to say, we're just going to force this decision through eliminating choices is something we must be very aware of. Here's the bigger point to me out of 1 Peter chapter 5. This is the point that's really sticking to me and it's really challenging me. Is the fact that modeling is more important than lecturing. The life we model is more important than the speeches and sermons we give. I've been preaching for a long time now. I started preaching at 15, I'm 40 now, so I've been preaching for 25 years. And I love preaching more than ever before. I'm a lot more calm of a preacher than I used to be. My RPMs used to be high. Preach, preach, and every once in a while that'll, you know, that'll rise up in me again. But even though I'm more relaxed now than I used to be, and maybe even a little more thoughtful than I used to be, I love preaching more than ever. I love declaring the gospel more than ever, but I'm also realizing that it has diminishing impact compared to the life I live. That has a greater impact. It has a greater, a, a greater, um, I guess impacts the word is in my mind again. So last week, I challenged you to read the New Testament this year. We have Bible reading plans if you missed it read the New Testament this year, read the Bible throughout the year. Don't worry about reading through the Bible as much as reading the Bible throughout the year. And the reason I was able to give that sermon to God's glory is because I did that last year. So it wasn't just delivering a speech, it was having the moral authority behind the speech because it's not about the lecture, it's about the life that's producing the lecture. These are the things that God's dealing with me about. So with his help, I wanna pray more and I want to be more faithful. And I want to be more about his presence. And I want to be more about living life in this community. Because the way we model our life and the way we live our life is so much more greater than the way we communicate. I can finally say there's a generation of pastors younger than me, finally after all these years. And, and these guys are so good at speaking. They're way better than my generation. They've been, they've been exposed to so much better speaking through podcasts and through all the different mediums. And I'm delighted in this fact. At one time, we thought when churches were just gonna do dramas and blockbuster movie clips forever, we wondered what, what would be the role of preaching in the future. And now preaching actually has made kind of a renewal, a renaissance, so to speak, because God always has used it. This younger generation of mine are really good communicators, but it's my prayer for them, and I believe this will come true, that they'll be really great at living out what they preach too. It won't just be about nailing that illustration, nailing that point, being, being flawless communicators, being able to come up with an additional word besides the word impact like I couldn't a couple minutes ago. But it'll be about that life. And I say that in love for them and respect because I think that if our nation has any hope, it's on the millennial generation now and, and they can do it.
they can, the millennial generation can change, change this world for God. Hebrews 13, 7 says it this way. Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. This is talking about the relational life that I communicated to you earlier, that we're not just receptors of information. We're living in community with one another and we're um, living this life so we know one another, which means today, if you come to prayer at 5.30 and then you stay for the free spaghetti dinner, to my disappointment, I know that there is a high probability that marinara sauce is gonna land on my shirt because it happens almost every time I eat spaghetti. And I really don't want you guys to see that because I wanna be this perfect pastor that has it all together, but I tend to spill food on my shirt a lot. But isn't that what this is about? And I know I'm talking about myself because I had the microphone, but I'm also talking about Matt Malone and Deborah Jackson and Greg Wilson. I'm talking about your 242 leader, who we may not have laid hands, we may not call them, call them Pastor Ched, or we may not call them Pastor Roger, but they're shepherding God's flock. They're, they're leading, they're sharing God's word together. And I wanna tell you this, that the way we live our lives and the way we apply this scripture and this gospel to our everyday life has much more effect than the slickest service and the, the, the greatest oratory. So spiritual authority guides. They're in the battle together. They're at, they're at the schools. They're in the hospitals. They're, they're living life together. They're doing things, and this is the kingdom model. I know this has probably happened to you. It's happened to me several times. I get a phone call. It's from an old friend. That's always great. My old friend is asking me some really caring questions. How's it going? How, how are you feeling? How are you doing? Great. How's Beth? She's great. How are the kids? They're growing. How's the church? It's doing good. You want to have coffee or do you want to get together for lunch? Yeah, let's get, the, let's get the calendar out. We make an appointment. We're feeling really good. I'm thinking, this is awesome. This old friend of mine is caring for me and, and he is wanting to meet with me and get to know me better. And then uh, after the appointment is made, he says, and I'm so excited to share with you, I have a special opportunity. Mineral rights in Albania. You can get on it right now if, if you come. And, and I can't wait to share this with you. You've had something like that happen to you. I've never heard about mineral rights in Albania. That's why I made that up because I'm not thinking of anyone in here. And I know that a lot of you are in cells and that's important. Our churches benefit from you in cells. And so those of you who are in cells here, I know you believe in your product. And so I'm not diminishing that career. What I'm trying to do is trying to remind you of a time when you experienced a particular emotion. And this emotion was you felt used. You felt like someone appealed to your relationship and they appealed to this sense of care to try to sell you something. And that just doesn't feel good, does it? It's disappointing, it's mildly hurt, hurtful. Sometimes it ticks us off. And I think a lot of ways that's how we felt with the church. We felt like the church has appealed to our most tender 
our most tender parts of us, the parts of us that connect with God, has appealed to that vulnerable part of our spirit. And they hook us in, and then we feel used just to fill up seats or just to raise money or just to propagate a program. It doesn't feel good, does it? That's why my last point is this. Spiritual abuse dehumanizes while spiritual authority empowers. Can I tell you, we're not part of a machine. We're not just one component of a system without a name, without a face, without interest. We have God's imprint on our lives. We have his design, his unique personality, his unique gifting. We are individuals. We don't just take up space in this room. We have divine gifts from God and we are called together, not to lose our identity, but so that our identity will come together and say, Jesus. God has called us. God has called us together as individuals who are uniquely talented, uniquely gifted, and we're better together. We're better as a body. And it breaks my heart that what I'm seeing in my nation, and I'm seeing here in this even Southern culture of ours, is people who are, who are checking out of church. And, and every, every week they're just buying the lie that says that I'm disciple and I'm okay and I'm spiritually mature and church is just about evangelism and I'm just there to accomplish a task and it's now someone else's turn. It's not my turn anymore. And what happens is this, is that Satan is making us lukewarm Christians and it is affecting our whole culture and it's especially affecting our kids. And so I'm just gonna ask you, when, when is it gonna be enough? When is the next vacation going to be enough? When is the next gadget going to be enough? When is the next toy that you accumulate? When is it enough? All of those things have a diminishing return. You buy a new item, you take a new trip. It's so exciting at first, and then it has a diminishing return. You buy Titan season tickets, it has a diminishing return every season. They get worse and worse and worse. But being part of God's church and God's house. There's new adventures before us. There's new relationships before us. There's new people who need your handshake, who need your greeting, who need your love, who need your contact. There are things that God has in store for us that we can't even imagine with our natural mind. And it's so much better than all of the other things that destroys our spirits. Something better, something greater is ahead of you. And it kills me that bad leadership has abusive leadership. It's taking good people out of the game. And I say it's time for us to get under the leadership of Jesus. For those of us who are leading, it's time for us to do it with maturity and with love. And it's time for God's church to rise up and be the church he's called it to be. It's happening. I'm not trying to communicate. Yeah, go ahead. I'm not trying to communicate all is bad. I'm not trying to communicate that all churches but us are bad. It's certainly not the case. There's some awesome churches in the city. I'm just trying to say this, is that, that so much is on the line. And the timeless God that we talked about in worship, yes, he is timeless and eternal, and he'll never change, but the time he's given us is limited. That's why Ephesians chapter 4 
starting with verse 11, says this, and he personally gave some to be apostles, which are missionaries, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, which in my opinion and linguistically, I think those go together. I always love it. There's some people out there like, I'm a teacher, but not a pastor. So just kind of let me come and teach and then go play golf and the rest of you can pastor. You can't do one without the other, right? You can't pastor if you're not teaching people. You can't teach people if you're not involved in their life. Why? Verse 12, for the training of the saints in the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Boy, that's so good. We can meditate on that so long. Verse 12 in the ESV, which is a more traditional translation, very similar to the King James, says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. I love this. This is letting us know that you, you are uniquely gifted and you have something to contribute. And it's the job of the elders and pastors and we're, you know, we're trying to get better at is to equip you, not to use you. To release you, to empower you, to let you be everything God's called you to be. Let's pray about this. So let's pray about this. Father, there's a very particular reason why you wanted me to share this message today. It didn't fit in my plan, but it's in your plan. And I know the people that are here in this service wanted, you wanted them to hear these words for a very particular reason. God, thank you for the chance to be under good spiritual leadership. Thank you for the chance to be good spiritual leaders. And God, I pray that today, by your spirit, you would renew to us what that means to us as individuals, to families, to marriages. I thank you, God, for that call. We praise your name for that. Would you stand with me? These last few minutes we have scheduled together, I want it to just be a time of prayer and evaluation for you to seek the Lord regarding his will, uh, for you to be under spiritual authority, for healing if you've been under spiritual abuse. The Lord, if you've been under abusive spiritual situation, the Lord wants to move on today. He just does. It's just, it's just time to move forward. Communion will be available. You don't have to take communion. But uh, if you do, I won't give further instruction. You can eat the bread, drink the cup when, um, when your heart is ready. I want to ask that you kind of do that in waves. So we need some people to start. We need some other people to hang back. I could manipulate you and sit and dismiss you by row, right? Part of my personality would like that. But I think you guys can figure it out. You guys can figure it out. Our, our room's getting fuller, and we, we had a we had a really full room at 9 a.m. too. Praise God for that. And so uh, we're gonna have to, you know, just be more aware of how we 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 get to communion, and you guys can figure it out good. But either as an individual, or if you're here with someone you love, whether it's your spouse or it's um, a community group that you're with. Maybe you can pray together. And if you want to just think about it by yourself, just think about the role of spiritual leadership. And um, if you're here and you're um, 
seeking God's will concerning a church, I just pray that you would just submit that to the Lord and, and, and make it his decision. Make it his decision and he'll lead you. If you've been at this church a long time, there may be some people here who's been, they've been here longer than me. I'm coming up on eight years in August. I mean, excuse me, February. Um, I just ask you to consider anew your commitment that this is the place that God's called you, if the elders and pastors here, uh, if this is where God's called you, that you would, you would do so willingly with all your heart because that's God's will.